Today's scripture is found in the Gospel of Luke. I'll be reading from uh, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35, on the road to Emmaus. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that have happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, he is now the, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they draw near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with me, stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and now he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Well, over the last two weeks, I gave what I thought were two really important sermons. I talked about the changing world and what it means to be a church today and what it will take to be a church in the future. My big message last week was that the church needs to have a metaphorical rummage sale. We need to go through the things that we do as a church, the beliefs that we have, the traditions we have, the practices, and we need to hold everything up and say, is this good for today? 
Or was it good for yesterday and maybe it's something we need to set aside? It means we're going to have to change as a church. And I know that's a scary word, but, but I don't think we change for change's sake. We need to decide the things that are really important and hold on to those tightly. And I gave the example of two hands, holding tightly to certain things and uh, being open to other things. And uh, I set this all up talking about how the world is just not the same as it used to be, right? That uh, Christendom, the idea that Christians had a home court advantage in society is over. And the modern idea that we could think and rationally get to a better world that's better has, has not worked. That even though we have gotten great advances in our society, we've also learned better and better ways to harm each other. So we as a church are in this sort of wrestling match, and I'm convinced it takes a lot of education to do that. You have to know why you do what you do. Okay? But the idea that we can't do things because we've always done them that way. Okay? We have to take everything we do and take a look and say, well, what's important and what do we need to cling to? And then what can we be more flexible about? And so I want to this week and over the next couple of weeks, talk about some of the things we do as a church and why we do them to set the stage for us having some of those conversations. And with the kids, I talked about our space and why we have the worship space. How many of you did not know that our church was a temple or a tabernacle? Isn't that kind of interesting? Okay. Today, I want to also, with you all, talk about Sunday morning and why we do what we do on Sunday morning. And next week, I'm going to talk specifically about sermons. But today, I want to talk especially about the order of worship. Why do we do worship the way we do? And what's the purpose behind it? To begin with, I need you to understand that when we, when we go to the Bible and when we look at worship, it, the Bible does not very often talk about worship as what we do on a Sunday morning. First of all, back then it was Saturdays. Okay? But second of all, worship is more of a life thing than a congregation thing in the Bible. It's worship is giving praise to and sacrificing for God. Worship in the Bible is spoken not as a corporate act primarily, but as an individual act. Paul in Romans 12 talks about living your life sacrificially toward God as what? A spiritual act of worship. Or if you were in my Bible study, we were talking about John 4, where Jesus talks about how God wants true worshipers, worship where it doesn't matter what mountain you worship on, what matters is that you worship in spirit and in truth. So worship is less about what a church does and more about what a, a way of life in the Bible. In fact, what we do on Sunday morning is technically we just get together and, and practice what you all were supposed to be doing all week which is to worship, to praise God with everything that you have. What we do on Sunday is a formal corporate experience of what your life should be all about. Okay? Now, uh, in the Bible, uh, we, we don't have a total guide to how to do this. We do sort of know that it, that it develops. At first, the early Jewish Christians, the early Christians were Jews who converted to Christianity, and they continued to worship on Sabbath, which was on Saturday. But as the church grew less Jewish and more Gentile, more non-Jewish, uh, the decision was made to make Sunday worship uh, the day of worship and praise because Jesus rose from the grave on uh, Sunday. And so by the end of the first century, it seems pretty clear that uh, the early church did this. The early church did not have buildings till much later. 
what they would do is gather in a home. So Ethan, go ahead and click to the next one. And here's kind of the outline of what they would do. We know from Acts 2.42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And then from Paul's letter to Corinth, we can piece together what a gathering sort of looked like. And it looked like this. Meal and praise. So they would come together normally in somebody's house, because they didn't have worship spaces. They had been kicked out of the temples for the most part. And they would come together and they would eat together and they would praise God. They would sing some hymns or spiritual songs. They would uh, pray. They would gather. They would greet. And then sometime later in the meal, uh, there would be some kind of teaching. Normally it was just sharing stories about Jesus at first. Maybe later they would have had a, uh, a writing. Maybe they got a letter, a copy of a letter that Paul wrote. Maybe they got one of the Gospels. And so people would read, and somebody in the community would stand up and sort of teach. A lot of times, at first, they were remembering teachings they had heard from other people who knew Jesus, uh, or had met Jesus, or had taught Jesus. So then there would be some kind of an offering, and at first that offering was for the uh, Christians that were being uh, persecuted in uh, Jerusalem. Later it was for the widows, the orphans, the needy in the community. But there would be some kind of an offering. There would be the breaking of bread, and then they would leave. Now, this brings us to some questions. First of all, what kind of prayers did they pray? A lot of historians sort of wonder this. What did the early church pray? Well, we wonder if they might have had the Lord's Prayer, if they may have written some of their own prayers, but probably they used the Psalms a lot. And what did they sing? Well, we know from Paul in Ephesians 5, 19 and 20, he says, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we know there were different kinds of songs. Okay, they used the psalms, the psalter, the hymnal of the Jewish people, but they seem to have written hymns. It's quite possible a couple times that Paul is quoting some of these hymns that were uh, getting in circulation. And there were sort of spiritual songs, what we might think of as praise songs, maybe more simple songs that you just repeated again and again. Um, most of that, we don't know exactly what it was, but we know from Paul that there were different kinds of songs. Now, what did they do for the offering? Because they didn't have buildings and they didn't have pastors. There's no church budget at this time. It was to go to the needy in the community. Communion at this point was the high point of worship. Okay, that was what everything was built on. And throughout much of Christian history, communion was the high point of worship. You would have done it every service because it was the main thing that you were building towards. And only true believers were allowed to stay. So if you weren't a member of the community in good standing, you had to leave the meal for communion. Okay, you had to leave. And so there was all kinds of rumors in the early church about what these Christians were doing, that no one was allowed in except them, and they ate a body and drank blood. Okay? There are actual rumors and accusations that maybe these Christians are cannibals, because that's what they do, and nobody else is allowed to see what they do. Now, the Bible does not really outline a style of worship. But, but this sort of develops, that they, oh, okay, this is kind of based on the Jewish faith, kind of based on their worship, but, but really sort of develops over time. That, well, we'll just gather together and do these things. But then the Christians look back at a particular passage of Scripture and say, look, this is basically what we're doing in story form. 
And it's actually, surprisingly, our passage that Jim read today. So let's go back over the story. It's Easter Day, and there have been stories going around that the tomb is empty and angels have been spotted. A disciple named Cleopas is walking with an unknown person, perhaps his wife, we're not totally sure, but they're walking down the road to Emmaus, about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And a stranger sort of catches up with them. And they don't know who this stranger is. This is kind of a theme in the resurrection appearances, by the way. Jesus is never known until he wants to be known. He, they sort of, I can't recognize him until he's there. And so Jesus asks what they're so sad about and what they're talking about. And Cleopas tells the story in brief form, right? About this Jesus we thought was going to be this great Messiah. We thought maybe he was going to be a prophet. And then he dies. But then Jesus critiques them, that they're foolish and that they're slow of heart to believe that the Christ had to suffer. And in verse 27, he says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scripture the things concerning himself. So he's telling them, here's all the stuff about this Jesus you missed. Okay, here's all the stuff it said had to happen, and here's why he had to die like this. And then they finally get to Emmaus, and Jesus acts like he's going to keep walking, and they make this nice offer to him, this nice gracious offer. Come eat with us. Come talk to us some more. And so Jesus comes with them, and when he gets the bread, the text is really careful to describe that he took the bread, broke it. Sounds like communion, doesn't it? And then all of a sudden, boom, they recognize who he is. He disappears. And then they decide to go seven miles back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples what they've heard. How frustrating was that, right? You ever go to the store and you forgot something, you have to go back in? Okay? They walk seven miles to Emmaus, realize that they've been walking with Jesus. They get up, they walk the seven, they must have run the seven miles back, so excited to tell everybody what was going on. Now, this may not seem like an example to you, but go ahead, Ethan, click the next one. Here's the story of the Emmaus Road, and, what, and, and, and think about it from our sense of worship. We are living our lives, and Jesus comes up to us, and we gather with each other in Jesus on this road that we are walking. Then the scriptures are opened up. Remember how Jesus opens up the scripture and tells them the stuff they've been missing in their walk? Then after they get all this information from Jesus and their heart burns within them, they make an offer of hospitality. They make an offering to have Jesus come and eat with them. Then where is Jesus made known? text says he's made known in the breaking of bread. As soon as the bread is broken, they recognize who this Jesus is. And what's the first thing they've got to do? Jesus disappears. They've got to leave and they've got to go tell other people about it. That's our church service. That's our church service. We meet Jesus while we're here. We come together and we gather. We meet Jesus. We hear about Jesus proclaimed in the scriptures. We make an offering to God. We respond to that offering. And then it's our job to go out and tell everybody else about what we experienced here in a special way. And this has been the general shape of Christian worship as long as Christians have been worshiping. With one big difference. During the Reformation... The reformers tried to move the emphasis from communion as the major part of worship to the word as part of worship. 
In some cases, Martin Luther and others were laboring to get the scriptures, the word of God, into the hands of the people. So they had this high value of the word and experiencing the word so that when you had communion, you understood what it was. Now, they did not all agree on what communion was, whether it was mystical or a ritualistic reenactment or really nothing but a symbol. But they all agreed that the focus of worship was not going to be communion. The focus was going to be the word. And so we get this strange thing called a sermon that really develops during the Reformation, and we stop doing communion all the time. Okay, before that, communion was every time we got together to worship, but it changes in the Reformation. And so now we have this idea of Reformed worship. Go ahead, Ethan. If you want to see what this is, open up your bulletin, because I put it in there for you. Okay, open up your bulletin. This is the Presbyterian way to talk about worship, and I've put it in the bulletin so you can follow along. The first section is called Gathering Around the Word. That's where we have a prelude and a call to worship and some opening songs. That gets us together, and that helps us to get ready for the Word. Sometimes there's a confession in there, so your heart is getting ready. Sometimes there's prayer involved in that process. But we're gathering. Okay? The prayers of the people actually were often uh, traditionally, uh, they were sometimes later kind of in response to the word. We do them there, here as part of our um, gathering. right? So that we are praying about all the needs we're having in the community to prepare our hearts for the word. Okay? Then the word is proclaimed. This normally involves the reading of scripture or interpreting it with a sermon. Sometimes a skit or music will be part of that. Um, sometimes you'll have a musical cantata that, that proclaims the word, but somehow the word has to be written and the word has to be proclaimed. Then there's responding to the word. And the traditional response to the word was the offering. You heard the offering, you, you heard the word, and you responded by giving graciously to the cause of the Lord. Now, we're never quite sure what to do with the offering, okay? Because it's too easy, if it's where it's going to be today, for you to respond to how good the sermon was instead of responding to the grace of God. Or at least that's the fear of pastors and of the community. Also, part of the challenge is if our kids are dismissed, then they don't get to see the offering, and we want them to see part of that. And so generally, for flow, you'll see a lot of churches move the offering earlier uh, for a number of different reasons. Um, but traditionally, it's part of the response. Sometimes the choir sings there, too. Sometimes that can be part of the response. There's normally, there can be a hymn of response. Then there's what's called the sealing of the word. You don't see the sealing of your word in your bulletin because we're not doing communion today. Um, but that's the understanding. Communion is sort of this seal, this stamp that goes on to uh, our, uh, our proclamation of the word. And then I love the phrase that our book of order, the, the Presbyterian Church uses, bearing and following the word into the world. Okay, so what we do is we take the Bible and we follow the Bible out and we lead out into the world where we can then proclaim and be missionaries to what we've heard and experienced in this service. Um, if you want a great picture of this, by the way, we've started doing acolytes. Okay, so we have the kids lighting the candles. Isn't that fun to see the kids light the candles? 
Okay, but that's this whole symbol. Okay, they do it early in the service to represent that when we're gathering, we're also gathering with God. So the Holy Spirit is brought in, and oh, this one's out. That one, okay, this happens. Okay, not with the Holy Spirit, but with candles. Okay, okay, we're meant to represent that the Holy Spirit is here among us, and then the kids will come out, come out later, and they will get that candle. Okay, they will get that light. They will put out the light here, and they will take it out. Why? Because we're remembering that the Holy Spirit leads us out and goes with us as we leave. See, the whole worship service is designed for us to experience the Emmaus Road. Now, I don't know that this has to be the way worship is done. I've been to some great services that aren't done like this. But I think it's a good way to do it. I think it's the way we have, so we might as well pay attention to it and learn from it, right? If we're going to do it, we're going to do it every day. We're going to do it every Sunday. We might as well pay attention to why we do it, right? So that it has a meaning and purpose. And a lot of us have never paid attention to the order of worship. But it's supposed to be a journey. And it's also supposed to be practice, you understand? That when we go out into the world, what we think is that's the real world and this is like the, the pretend world. But, but I'm telling you it's the opposite. That this is the real world. And that that world out there has all kinds of fakeness to it. And it's our job to understand what's fake out there and to make sure we're proclaiming the real world when we get out there. So we have this special time called Sunday morning where we come here and we leave all those distractions behind. We enter a sanctuary that's supposed to teach us about the real world and we experience in our singing and, and in our liturgy and in the word of God proclaimed, we experience the real world Without all those distractions so that we're ready to tune into it and pay attention to it and proclaim it when we leave. Okay? Do you know what church is? It's a spiritual fueling station. That's what it is. It gets you ready to go out and proclaim it when you leave. Let me say this another way. This spring, we, we're living right over here um, and uh, just a couple blocks that way. And um, we, are, we have this, these great big trees everywhere. So when I moved in, we put up some bird feeders. And we are getting great birds. We have four different kinds of, uh, of woodpeckers we get abound every day, including the big pileated woodpecker. Um, we are getting um, several finches and cardinals and nuthatches. And I even saw an owl at my house. Um, I think it was hunting the flying squirrels that come every night. Um, but we're getting all these birds, and I, I'm getting fascinated with birds. I've never been in a place where I could really have that. And so I'm amazed at all the birds and uh, all the bird calls that are constantly going on that I'm learning to recognize. Okay? But you know what's crazy? If, if you ever start getting into birds, you start seeing them everywhere. Okay? So now I'm driving, and I'm like, oh, there's a cardinal there. Oh, look at that. I was on a run the other day, and I saw some kind of hawk, and I had to go back and look up what kind of hawk it was because I'd never seen it. Um, and I'm starting to hear all these bird calls that all of a sudden I'm recognizing and I'm wondering what they are. And there's like this whole world, okay, that for 35 years I've been around birds. But I didn't notice them until I started noticing them. You understand? Okay, I'm all of a sudden cued in. It's like when you buy a car and all of a sudden you see that same make and model everywhere. Okay? Uh, and you think you picked a unique color of car and then you start seeing it everywhere because your mind's tuned in. Understand, that's what we do on Sunday morning. Okay, we tune into a God who is everywhere, 
who is singing, who is flying around, who is working in our world, and we are not tuned into it. And so we come here to get our tuners on. Okay? We come here on Sunday morning to get an awareness of God, and we try to, with our worship, make it as plain and easy as possible. Right? And all around us are these symbols, and all around us are these songs, and these words, and these, these tunes, and these themes that are supposed to get us cued in. So when we go out into the world, oh, there's a robin. Oh, what's that I hear? And suddenly I start to recognize God perched in my work. I start to recognize God flying through my neighborhood. And, and I start to see all these things that I never saw before. But because we dedicated this time, and because we experienced Emmaus again, now we learn to recognize the God that is at work everywhere. So come to church. Let me start there. Okay? Come to church. When you miss out on church, you miss out on your tuners. So show up. And when you show up, show up ready to learn. Show up ready to worship. Show up ready to praise. And when we sing a song, listen, I'm standing up here, so I can see that some of you are not singing. Okay? Here's my encouragement to you. Be a part of the experience. Okay? Uh, the, the Lord said, make a joyful noise, not necessarily a good one. Okay? So make a joyful noise. Sing out. Let your voice be, at least move your lips. Okay? At least fake it for me. Okay? Really, your attitude when you come in here is so important. Come ready to experience God. Prepare your hearts. Pay attention to the order. Pay attention to the words, to the song. Bring all your hearts, minds, everything you have to worship. I know last week I picked a hymn that nobody knew at the end. And I knew that nobody knew it. And then when you sang it, I really knew you didn't know it. <laughs> but if you paid attention to that song, it was a great fit for the word that had been proclaimed. Did you get so lost by trying to sing the tune that you missed the words? See, have your heart and your mind tuned in because all this is is practice. Okay? It's practice for the rest of your week. So may your whole week, may your whole lives be filled with worship. Let's pray as our Ushers, get ready for the tithes and offerings at a strange place. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you love us. Thank you that you call us. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come into your presence. We remember Christians around the world that can't do this in public. They have to do this in private and secret and are worried about police rushing in as they worship. Help us to not take it for granted. In Jesus' name, amen.